Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor Podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward. Hello and welcome to another Breakthrough Advisor podcast. I'm joined as always with my co-host Jack Martin, but our special guest today is Wade Fow. Now, you have heard of Wade. You've probably read stuff that he's written. You've probably seen him on main stages because he's the professor of retirement income at the American College and founder of the retirement, I'm sorry, founder of retirementresearcher.com. There's no the, just retirementresearcher.com. And we're gonna make sure that we have those links in the show notes. So Wade, uh, Wade first off, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, I'm happy to be here. So what are we going to dive into today? I know that you have a plethora of topics that you can talk on, but we're going to specifically focus on what? Well, um, if I can, before oh. we get into that, I, had, I just had one question. Wait, I've, I've been curious about this for a long time. I, I noticed somewhere when I was reading about your background that you completed part of your academic studies in Japan. So uh -huh. how, did, how did that detour work uh, you know, in terms of you becoming a CFA and then getting back to the American college and so on? I've, I've always yeah, been curious yeah. about that. Uh -huh. Well, that's actually related to what we're talking about today because I got started on this work over there. But indeed, my first job out of grad school, I decided to become an economics professor in Tokyo. I, I was originally planning to work in the U.S. government. I was thinking about going to the Treasury Department. But at the last minute, I thought it'd be interesting to live in another country and to work as an academic. And, and so I ended up going that route. I stayed there for 10 years. And then as a part of coming back to the US really started to focus on personal retirement planning and, and individual financial planning issues to find a job back in the United States. <laughs> so obviously you learned Japanese. Uh, I can't really say that. I, I can manage in restaurants, <laughs> that sort of thing. But, <laughs> Enough but, uh, for the commute, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could get back and forth to work, okay. <laughs> All right. So, Wade, you and I talked um, earlier about uh, some new research you've got. And mm -hmm. I, I think it'll be kind of interesting to financial advisors because um, a lot of us are having these uh, retirement income planning conversations with our clients today. Clearly, the number of folks that retired last year doubled. Uh, the number of boomers who are planning to retire is, is skyrocketing. And, and, and so there's, I call it this retirement tsunami. And, and so there are a lot of these conversations going on. And at the heart of this is uh, a paycheck right? Uh, they're, they're not going to get paid by the employer anymore. Now they've got to create their own paycheck. And so I think what you said is your team has done some research around uh, how people feel about um, uh, what that retirement income should look like, their preferences for the way they want to structure their retirement income after they retire and so on. Do I have some of that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's the retirement income style awareness. And it's really looking at how do people want to source their retirement income? How do they, they want to get that paycheck in retirement? And like I mentioned, it really, it all started about 10 years ago in Japan, where, when I was starting to learn about retirement planning, uh, I just noticed that there were completely different attitudes or different approaches about retirement. And you can ask basic questions and get completely different answers. Like, is there a safe withdrawal rate like the 4% rule? Does the stock market become less risky or more risky over longer holding periods? Is there any use for annuities in retirement? You get completely opposite answers about these questions depending on who you're talking to. 
And, and so that just built up. I originally talked about it as safety first and probability-based approaches. And that became part of the RISA, but it became broader. And, and so what the, the retirement income style awareness or the RISA is all about is trying to understand if there are factors we can identify that help to determine how people want to source their retirement income. Those probability-based and safety-first terms that I started using in Japan, they become one of the six factors and they're an important factor. And it's simply probability-based is I'm comfortable relying on the stock market as a source of retirement spending, as a way to spend more than bonds alone. And so I'm willing to use an aggressive diversified portfolio to fund my retirement versus safety first is I wanna rely more on contractual protections. I, I may be okay investing in stocks, but I don't wanna be completely reliant on stock market growth to make my retirement successful. I wanna have some sort of contractual protect, protection behind that. And that's the first factor. There, there's more factors I think we can get into what all that does, but when you fit this all together at the end, it really points towards an understanding that there are basic retirement strategies out there that we've known about, the, the systematic withdrawals where you just spend from a total return portfolio, the time segmentation or bucketing approach where you use bonds for short-term expenses, stocks for long-term expenses, and then uh, essential versus discretionary or floor upside style approaches where you build a lifetime floor of annuity income and then you invest more uh, aggressively for discretionary types of expenses. And these basic retirement strategies, we can really now start to understand who might prefer which type of strategy based on the, these characteristics we've identified. So um, is what you're talking about a kind of a, uh, not a personality test, but it, it, it's a tool that an advisor could use to start a conversation with a client about this? to try yeah. and get them. I think you said you had four quadrants. So these are like style boxes, you know, for those of us that manage assets. So uh -huh. tell me how, how an advisor might have that conversation. Right, right. So it, it's a matrix and it has a, the four styles. We split the essential versus discretionary into two. We have income protection, which is somebody who may look more at SPIAs and DIAs. And then we have risk graph, which is more about using deferred annuities with living benefits. And then with the time segmentation and total returns, those are the, the four strategies. And yeah, it, it's a matrix. The first characteristic I already mentioned, probability-based versus safety first. The other is optionality versus commitment. Do you wanna try to maintain your options uh, to do something different in the future as much as possible? Or are you more comfortable committing to a strategy that you know can work and therefore not have to keep revising or updating or thinking about it in the future? And so these are the two primary factors, the optionality commitment, probability safety first. We build a matrix around that. And the natural correlations are, if you're probability-based, so rely on market growth, you also tend to prefer optionality. And if you're safety first, wanting contractual protections, you tend to prefer to commit to a strategy. So that's the natural kind of diagonal where a lot of people are gonna fall. But then we also can see some characteristics of people are, they're safety first, they want contractual protections, but they also want optionality. And then some people, they're probability based, they're willing to rely on market growth, but they wanna to commit to a strategy as well. And so there's are gonna be our four strategies. If you wanna rely on market growth and keep your options open, you're a total return investor who will draw from a, a portfolio and spend for retirement that way. If you're, uh, safety first and commitment oriented, 
you want contractual protections and commit to a strategy, that's the world of annuitization using single premium immediate annuities, deferred income annuities, QLACs, that sort of thing. And then if you're in one of the other two quadrants, it is more of a behavioral type of situation where advisors have developed strategies to help with inconsistent preferences. So if your time segmentation, you want contractual protections, but you also want optionality. It's kind of, a, we're not used to having a contract and having options, but that's where time segmentation developed as a way to meet that sort of preference. And if you're probability based, but you wanna to commit to a strategy, well, you're relying on market growth, but you can't really commit when you're just not sure what the markets are going to do. But that's where deferred annuities developed with living benefits to support that, to give you upside potential, to give you liquidity for your assets, but still having a commitment and having downside protection in place, having protected lifetime income. And, and then that's the starting point. We had four other characteristics as well that helped to feed into these solutions. And so an advisor can give this to a client or a prospect and be able to then have a conversation that meets the client where they are, rather than trying to foist some sort of strategy upon that person. And maybe then having a discussion that becomes fruitless if it's a strategy that won't resonate with the client, but being able to start with a conversation based on where that client is and talking about a strategy that it's fitting their profile, it's fitting their personality. It's something they may really be willing to consider for retirement. So, <clears throat> Boy, that's a lot to process. Um, that's a lot to process. Is there is there some element of this that that helps us uh, mitigate, you know, that that annuity puzzle? So maybe by by using your tool, we're able to to have a guided conversation so that folks that would otherwise not necessarily uh, embrace the word annuity might be open to the concept of adding that to their strategy? Does this help in that, in that situation? Uh, I, I think so. And it's partly right. Annuity kind of became a bad word with people just because they, they don't really know what it means or it's got many different uses and the whole popular culture just speaks in, in various ways about annuities. But yeah, if, if you find out someone's underlying preferences point towards value with an annuity, yeah, you can have the conversation that way and, and you can frame it in terms of these factors that we're talking about. Like for some people, like the annuity puzzle is just why don't more people use annuities? Academics right. love annuities, but they don't seem to be as popular as, as academic theory would suggest. Well, if you are a total return person, so there are some people who just simply won't be interested in annuities. They want, they're comfortable relying on market growth. They wanna keep options open as much as possible. And then dipping into some of these secondary characteristics, they're gonna have an accumulation focus. They, they maintain that same accumulation mindset in retirement where they're more focused on market growth than on having predictable income. They just don't care as much about predictable income. They wanna front load their retirement expenses. So they wanna enjoy the early part of retirement as much as possible. Those types of people, there isn't an annuity puzzle. They just simply don't really need an annuity. But yeah, I mean, that's not <laughs> anywhere near the, that may be 35% of people. That's not anywhere. I mean, there's so many people who can find value in an annuity. And that's where the conversation of pointing out their characteristics, if they're more comfortable committing to a strategy, if they're more comfortable with contractual protections, with not having to rely on stock market growth in the way that a, a total return strategy requires. 
uh, wanting predictable income, having that preference for predictable income over just pure market growth, having more of a preference for backloading so that they're willing to, it's, it's kind of like, what do you, when do you wanna spend? Do you wanna enjoy your early retirement years and then make cuts later if necessary? Or do you really wanna make sure you can sustain a lifestyle over your retirement? So you're not gonna front load, you're just gonna to try to spread things out. And annuity can really help do that as well. So someone who backloads their preferences, somebody who wants a perpetual income floor instead of having it time-based uh, I think I hit all the characteristics there, but uh, yeah, all that speaks to seeing value in an annuity. Jack, if you don't mind, if I jump in here. So Wade, are you seeing in the data? So the people who are, who are taking these questionnaires, are you seeing any sort of, uh, telling information about age groups, assets under management or, or, or assets that they have available for this, for which way that people might be appearing on this? quadrant? Mm -hmm. it, it's a great question. And at this stage, it's hard to make any definitive conclusions about that. Uh, thus far, uh, with the retirement researcher email subscribers, we've uh, about 1500 people participated in the study. We do know everyone's age, we know everyone's gender, we ask about net worth, but it was an optional question. So only about three to 400 people told us their net worth. And, and so then we're getting a smaller sample size. So it, at this point, eventually we should be able to really say a lot about this area, but right now it's a bit harder to make definitive conclusions, but we don't, I mean, with what we have, we don't see any clear trends that say higher net worth individuals like one strategy over the other. So have you been able to, to determine how fluid these preferences are? Um, so, you know, obviously I'm taking the quiz in the moment, based on what I know and what I've experienced so far. But, you know, a week from now, I might have had to go visit with my parents about the need for, you know, lifetime income, and that kind of changes my outlook. So mm -hmm. how fluid are these preferences? Are they bedrock or not? Yeah, that's something to always be concerned about. And it's a big problem with the just the traditional risk tolerance questionnaires looking at like how much right. volatility can you stomach? We, of course, there's nothing lucky about the pandemic, but we did get a, a natural experiment where, because we wanted to check for this. And we, for people who participate in the study, we gave them the questionnaire in March, 2020, which was right when everything was falling apart. And then we had the follow-up version of it in September, 2020, when we seemed to be getting around the corner and things were looking brighter. So we were giving the same individuals the questions both in very different environments. And we did find high reliability about their answers being quite consistent between those two time periods. Now to fully answer the, that kind of question, you just, you do have to follow the same individuals over a long time period. And we haven't had a chance to do that yet, but at least preliminary findings are that, yeah, that these do seem to hit at underlying preferences people have. It's not like, oh, the stock market's been up, so I'm much more comfortable investing in the stock market versus not being comfortable in the stock market. It does seem to be hitting something that's more of an innate characteristic for people. So if I'm an advisor, is this like a, and I'm going to use this tool with, with, with a client, is this something, is this 10 questions? Is this 500 questions? You know, do they need to go in a dark room, you know, in radio silence for, an, for two hours? What's the deal? How, what's the experience like? 
Uh-huh. So the, well, our, our participants were great. We initially were offering up 800 questions to just sort of work our way down. Uh, but at the end of the day, to get the matrix, it can be done with as few as 12 questions, so maybe a, a seven minute test. We'd really like to ask more than that because we think retirement is so important, but we're looking at somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 30 minutes to get a, a, a really comprehensive assessment of the six factors, your concerns about different types of retirement goals. And then also something I haven't even mentioned yet that would be of, of use to an advisor is we also are really looking at how do people like to implement financial advice? So we look at their self-efficacy, which is just, do they feel that they can be successful by taking action or do they feel that they don't have that ability? And then also, do they feel that financial advisors are useful? Yes or no. And with that, we can start to see, we talk about the self-directed investor who has high self-efficacy, but does not perceive value in working with an advisor. We have people who would want to delegate, which is more of the traditional, have the advisor do everything for them. We have validators who may not want to have a full-time advisory relationship, but do at least want a one-time plan or, or want occasional meetings to, as a touch point for double-checking something. And then we have collaborators who want to work together with the advisor, but may be looking for a more comprehensive relationship. And so to, to see that as well, it, it would take more questions. An advisor giving this to a client or a prospect could choose which, which aspects they'd like to ask. Certainly with prospects, though, I think it's useful to know about the, how that individual wants to implement advice, because if they're self-directed, they may not ever be, really be willing to work with an advisor uh, versus if they're someone that does have high perceived advisor usefulness, they may be much more open to a relationship. Um, so like a lot of things in, in finance these days, it seems like this is kind of a mashup of psychology and economics. And so you, you start talking about self-efficacy and things like that, you know, more personality related traits. So how, is this something we should think about it from a behavioral perspective or, um, or not? Uh, well, well, yes, my, my co-author and the, the person I work with on this, Alex Merguia, he has a PhD in psychology. So you hit That's that handy. nail on the head. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily view it as behavioral finance. It's just more about basic preferences. I, I think the best way to explain the idea is just when people think about the job they want to have. So maybe when you're in your 20s, you're thinking about do I want to have a job that's more secure, maybe lower in like a less variable income, not based on commissions, based on a, a salary, a, a good defined benefit pension and so forth versus am I something, someone who's really willing to invest or to, to seek more upside, to have more of a sales driven or commission driven variable income with potentially higher if I'm successful, like how do I want to approach that type of decision? As, as we started the conversation, it's really the same thing in retirement about how do I want to source my retirement income? Do I want steady, sustainable, or do I want to go for it all and <laughs> roll the dice and, and maybe have an amazing outcome, but take the risk that, that things could backfire with that? So it's, it's more about people's characteristics and not about necessarily behavioral aspects or like nudging people or whatever that you get into with the behavioral finance conversation. So I, I imagine there are advisors who are screaming at their uh, AirPods right now saying, this is all great, but how do I implement this? 
What can I do today to start having these conversations? Or is there a way? Uh, at this point, uh, just for the short term, please visit resaprofile.com. It's all one word, resaprofile.com. Because we had originally just rolled this out as a tool for retirement researcher. The, it's an RIA firm that I'm part of. And, and we do offer solutions for these different types of implementation with a academy membership website for self-directed investors, one-time planning for people who are more of validators, and then the ongoing traditional advisory relationships for the um, collaborators and, and delegators. And we were mainly just thinking to use this as a tool to help bring people to, to work with us. But we realized there's a, a lot of interest in it. And so we're currently in the midst of a, a three-month build-out to have an API-driven <laughs> interactive tool that we'll be able to offer to advisors. And so that's all a work in progress right now because this really just started as, as a local and research-based project to, to see if we could understand people's retirement preferences. But we're it's a work in progress. We'll have something soon. <laughs> and so sometime this later this year, hypothetically, mm -hmm. you'll have advisors will be able to point their clients to a website, say, take this quiz, they're going to finish the 12 questions or, or 20 questions, whatever the number finally ends up. And then the advisor is going to get some uh, talking points, feedback scores that they, they, they that he can then share with the with the client. Is that the plan? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. And also just, we're trying to do these mapping exercises as well to even be able to figure out what types of specific tools or products can fit the different parts of the matrix. We, that, that four part matrix, we divide into 16 quadrants to get more, more of a range. And even being able to say to the advisor, here's the specific types of tools that may fit this particular client if the advisor would like to use that as a starting point as well. But yes, that, that's the idea. The advisor can know where they fall in terms of their preference for retirement income how they approach working with an advisor and, and take it from there and have that conversation and, and build a plan that that client will be comfortable with. So is, is the vision that it, it'll get down to the level of saying, in, based on your style preference, you know, it's appropriate for you to look at uh, iShares, it, overseas global ETF? Well, it won't that get into thing, or? asset allocation in terms of being that specific, but- okay. Um, but, but it'll say things like, you know, an annuity is appropriate for you. Probably this kind of annuity has mm -hmm. these kinds of characteristics, but it's not yes. going to get to the level of, of saying, you know, 60% in the annuity, 40% in the, the stock portfolio. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That would be something that the advisor would still be doing because this, these questions don't really get into any sort of financial details. So it'd be hard to provide any sort of specific breakdown about how much to allocate to different tools. Okay. But yeah, it would tell you the, the basic style of that individual in terms of, are they someone who'll be open to a conversation about annuities? And then furthermore, what type of variable, RILA, fixed index annuity, SPIA? That's the idea that we'll be able to start to narrow in on where to have that conversation. But it's, it's not a comprehensive planning tool in terms of spitting out an entire financial plan. It's, it's really more of a personality assessment know where to have the conversation. So this is a great view into the future. Are, are there some specific things that you could tell our, our listeners that they, they might be able to start doing tomorrow, doing a little bit differently with their clients, things that they should be thinking about, conversation points they should be having? You know, how, 
absent the tool, what would be your advice for them working with their clients today? Mm -hmm. I'd say the biggest thing, and this is where we're going to get the most pushback, is always a lot of advisors believe there is one approach to retirement that's superior and that everyone should use, whether that's a total return portfolio or whether that's an annuity floor or whether that's a bucketing strategy. A lot of advisors just think that maybe you won't need this retirement income style awareness because none of those other styles that they don't like are useful. <laughs> There's only one good style. And, and I think it's really important to just start to recognize that that's not the case. There are multiple viable ways to build a retirement income strategy. Not everyone should use an annuity, but not everyone should be in, in an investments only strategy either. And it's important to start to at least respect that you can misserve a client if you're trying to fit everyone into the same strategy. So for advisors to start recognizing there are a, a broader range of strategies. And a lot of the time I'm talking to people who are from the investments only world and trying to explain a lot of clients could get benefit from an annuity and just recognizing that you need to have that broader conversation and then decide as an advisor, are you willing to serve the different styles so that you can have clients falling into different styles or are you gonna specialize in one? Because it's fine to specialize in a particular retirement income style, but then it's also, I think, important to recognize that not every person out there is going to fit that style. And so you may have to decline some individuals because they're not appropriate for the the business that you've developed or the approach you've developed. I think you said there, there were maybe what 35% of the population that you studied, probably not good prospects for annuities. And so are there, is there a balancing segment of the population that's probably not a good prospect for the total return? I mean, how did, how did, how did you find the population, you know, split out into the four style boxes? Mm -hmm. Well, so yeah, in the ballpark of 35% were total returns and also about 35% were income protection. And that's the more pure annuity type of an approach. And then in the ballpark of 15% were time segmentation. And then another 15% were uh, the risk wrap, or, which is what we're calling like deferred annuities with living benefits. Now in time segmentation and total returns, you're generally not going to look at a lifetime income annuity. You might still use tools like MIGAs or investment only variable annuities or period certain annuities, especially in, in a time segmented approach. But most of the action with annuities, at least when it comes to having some sort of lifetime income provision, would be in the bottom half of our matrix with the income protection and risk wrap, which is in the ballpark of half of the, the people who are taking that survey. Cool. Matt? Well, dear God, Jack, I have like 8 million questions that uh, I honestly don't know where I would even begin. Wait, I think for, for our listeners specifically, this is going to instill a substantial amount of confidence. You, you said something right at the beginning that I think should be posted everywhere, which is that academics have a very different feeling than the general public does uh, about annuities. And I don't know how many people actually know that, uh, right? I mean, it just seems like a no brainer to those of us who live in this world. Uh, but those of those people who don't live in this world who have been paying attention to mainstream communication about this, I think they'd find that rather enlightening. I'm trying to find a real <laughs> positive swing on that. But as you continue to do this research, 
are you going to be publishing more of the results of this research academically so that uh, advisors like like the people who are with Jack and Insuremark and other organizations can learn from you? Is that the longer term goal here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do have the, the research papers online already. And uh, one of them has been accepted at it's the financial services review. The other one we're still it's called revise and resubmit where we had a positive review, but we've made some revisions and hopefully uh, I shouldn't say the journal name yet just in case, but hopefully that'll be coming out as well. And yeah, I'll have a, a book coming out September 7th retirement planning guidebook and that chapter one is devoted to determining your retirement income style where I'm going to be explaining it in a very non-research, because <laughs> those research papers are pretty heavy reading, <laughs> but the book version is more friendly in terms of- Is there, is there any way that our listeners can sign up for that? So, I mean, you know, people get busy uh, and, and they're like, oh my goodness gracious, so I knew something was supposed to happen this fall. Uh, <laughs> can they sign up to get on like a mailing list for, to purchase the book when it comes out or, or when this becomes more uh, open and accessible to the general public? Well, we as retirement researcher, if you just go to our website, retirementresearcher.com, we you'll it'll pop up to join the weekly email list. Every Saturday morning, we send out an email. We've got thirty thousand subscribers. Don't have anything specific for the book, but I will definitely be promoting the book when it's available in September through that email list for sure. Fantastic, Jack. Anything, you got anything else for Wade? I was just going to say, wait, anything you want to say in closing? Any any tips to advisors? They're driving in the car. They love what you're hearing. They're saying they're chomping at the bit. They've got an appointment tomorrow. You know, just just tell them what. Be sensitive to the fact that uh, some people do and some people don't when it comes to annuities, and some people do and some people don't when it comes to total return. And you know, be sensitive to those kinds of things. Yeah, be sensitive to people have different preferences when it comes to sourcing their retirement income. And of course, if somebody just says, I don't like annuities, that may not be their style because they may have mis misunderstood based on whatever they were hearing on some talk radio show or whatever the case may be. But if they truly don't have an interest in annuities, that's okay. There are different approaches. And, and still, there's plenty of people out there who would find value in annuity and, and to be able to find those people and, and work with them. Uh, but be flexible and just recognize there are different preferences, different styles available for people. Are there any of those litmus test kind of questions, you know, where you can discern, you know, okay, so this guy's probably not an annuity prospect, you know, without doing the whole 12 question deal. I probably the easiest, what I always use as a litmus test was just the whole, now many advisors use planning software with a Monte Carlo probability of success simulation. And so if the software spits out that you've got a 90% chance for success, how do you feel about that? Because if you're more of that total return probability based type person, you're okay with a 90% success rate and you can go ahead and proceed with the plan. But if you're someone who I think ultimately would be more open to a conversation about annuities, you're not going to respond as well to a 90% success rate. You're going to be thinking, well, there's a 10% failure rate and I'm not necessarily comfortable proceeding with retirement if there's a 10% chance that the plan's not going to work. And if that's how I feel, then having the contractual protections provided through an annuity might make me feel better about my retirement and to have less risk of what could go wrong when I am in that 10% of the distribution. 
that's good guidance. And hey, Wade, uh, as a financial advisor, I want to thank you for your contribution to our business. It, you, you're doing gr great work to help us do a better job for our clients. And Lord knows they need all the help they can get the, in these challenging times. So thank you very much for your good work. Thank you. Well, we want to thank Wade for uh, everybody at retirementresearcher.com. Uh, Wade Fowle, who is a professor of retirement income at the American College. Please make sure that you connect with him on LinkedIn. He's always posting wonderful stuff. Also, make sure that you follow Jack. Jack, uh, he's always posting good stuff, uh, sharing good stuff, making good comments. And finally, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button. And if you know somebody who was like, wow, what Wade just said was freaking smart. Please share this with them by clicking the share button. It's very, very easy. And then also make sure that you go to uh, retirementresearcher.com and sign up for their weekly newsletter. So for everybody at Aturemark and all of us here at the Breakthrough Advisor, this is Matt Halloran. We'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.